Yeah, I don't want a reporter in my face trying to pull me over for a, for a interview when I'm trying to make in-game and in-between uh, drives adjustment with my guys and try to have intimate moments with my guys and try to win this game versus you sticking a camera in my face and being live and saying, hey, um, how do you feel about throwing that interception? Oh, how do you feel about going three and out? It's crazy. Hey now, what's going on? What's cracking? Welcome back to the original Side Hustle, the Jim Rohn Podcast, and welcome to episode 285, where my guest this week is a former national champion and an Ohio State Buckeye legend. In fact, my guest run to the Natty was one of the most unbelievable runs to a Natty that we have ever seen. My guest this week is former Ohio State quarterback and current CBS Sports analyst Cardell Jones. Of course, you'll remember Cardell from that wild three-game run from the Big Ten Championship to the inaugural college football playoff title. He went on to become a fourth-round draft pick in the NFL. He recently crossed over into the media and has a brand-new book. Cardell Jones, leading the Buckeyes, finding my purpose and never giving up. I am extremely curious and excited to chop it up with Cardell. So why don't we get right to it? It is episode 285 of the Jim Rohn Podcast with former Ohio State quarterback Cardell Jones, and it's coming at you right now. So Cardell, first things first, it is really good to chop it up with you, get caught up with you. In fact, before I ask you anything at all, what's up, man? How you doing? How you feeling? Uh, good, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, big fan of what you're doing and, and some of the cool guests you had thus far. But, uh, man, doing a lot, man. Wrote a book here recently that was released and doing some sports analyst stuff with CBS and uh, working with athletes in the NIL space in college. So doing a lot of things that, you know, when you asked me two, three years ago what I saw my life, you know, two, three years in the future, um, I don't think I would have guessed any of this. All right, so that's really interesting in and of itself. Now, before we talk about the book itself, you've got all that going on. You did just turn 31 in September. Last May, yeah. you spent some time in the CFL. You signed with the Indoor Football League earlier this year. I mean, are you actively looking to continue your football career, or where does that stand? You know, that's a great question. I think um, for me to get back out there, it had to be the right opportunity, um, the right situation. I still train every day. Um, I think that part of my life is – harder to give up or to break that routine um, because you've done it for so long, but it had to be the right opportunity. And to be quite frankly honest with myself and you guys here, um, as we know, the further you are away from the game, it's harder to get back into it just with opportunities that windows that window closest. So um, maybe it's done with me, you know, let's see. So it's always tough, and it's always tough to let that thing go because that's what makes great athletes great, right? They always believe that they can still do it, but then reality ultimately will hit. About the book itself, Cardell, what was it like to write the book, and then why did you feel like now was the right time to tell your story? Um, You know what? It actually goes back to COVID year 2019 where, um, you know, I was in XFL. We were killing it, and then, um, you know, COVID crushed it right in the middle of the season. And that upcoming fall was my first fall outside of football with no ball. You know, um, the opportunities in the NFL pretty much wasn't there as I wanted it to be because with the workouts, I had workouts that had got canceled because of COVID. So it was truly NFL was signing guys off the street with no previous um, workout experience, anything like that. It was just pretty much if a coach had a new spot and had a player that played with them, you know, prior to, they would just sign those guys based off that. And, uh, you know, so 
those opportunities dried up for me uh, quite fast. And that was my first fall really out of ball. And, you know, I kind of did it to as a therapy to me because I had so much free time on my hands for the first time and, you know, for my entire life. And um, I knew the things I went through, not just in life, but through sports could help someone else. You know, um, so I decided to write about it. And, you know, it, it turned to just a project I was writing about. And I look up, it was already at 30,000 words in about, you know, a week. And I was like, oh, this could be a book. So that's how it really all came together. I think that process is really fascinating in and of itself. Like, even if you played your last football game, you're always going to be a legend in Columbus, Ohio. For instance, in your 23 games there, you completed 62% of your passes, 15 touchdowns, 7 INTs. You led the Buckeyes to the natty. Now, that that's not to say that it was always easy there because it wasn't. But as you look back now and you've got some separation, how would you describe your life as a Buckeye? What do you remember most? Um, I think clearly the, the biggest thing that stands out the national championship and that round we went on was magical. But I, I think the biggest way I can describe it is just emotional roller coaster, a lot of ups and downs throughout my college career. And I speak about it, um, you know, in depth throughout the book of just, you know, battling, you know, first of all, going into a university that I grew up loving, a culture I grew up loving at the time, Jim Trussell, then boom, right before I get there, he's gone. No, so that relationship, that dynamic was, you know, it was a curveball from the very beginning of my college experience because the people I grew a relationship with through the recruiting process in these two, three years um, were no longer around. So, you know, so there's a lot of questions and, and a lot of unanswered things up in the air of just, you know, how I would feel about being there, you know, clearly my career there and some of the things we set out to do together as a staff and, you know, uh, as a staff and recruit, as staff and player. So um, emotional roller coaster to say the least, but a lot of a lot of highs, you know, more highs than lows. Um, but the relationships I built with, you know, the new staff at the time and Tom Herman and some of those guys and my teammates, Gigi Bear, Braxton, and Tyvis Powell, the list goes on. Um, you know, those relationships that are going to last me for the rest of my life. I think people tend to overlook that, right? They think about that amazing run that you made to the Natty, but they forget that you were recruited by Jim Trestle and then Urban Meyer comes in. I'm glad you brought up yeah. Tom Herman, though, right? Because you you go back further with him than I do, but I go back with him a few years. He's at Florida Atlantic right now. I've always loved the guy. Mm-hmm. He was an assistant coach at the time. What do you remember, Cardell, about that hour-long meeting that you had with him while you were in high school? Um, you know, it was funny. Um, you know, I was actually at, in prep school at the time with Coach Hart. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was going through the transition process of Ohio State had just announced Urban Meyer was going to be the new head coach moving forward because I don't know many people might not remember Luke Fickle was the intern head coach. So all of the staff was still there. Um, all of the staff was still there at Ohio State that I grew up knowing and loving and the quarterback coach and Siano and, and all these guys. And then not towards the end of that season, that 2011 season, where they announced Urban Meyer as the head coach. And I already knew when a new head coach coming, he used to bring in all his own guys. So one of his first hires, to my understanding, was Tom Herman from Iowa State at the time. So he went to go visit a few guys that were still committed to Ohio State. I was one of them. Um, and, you know, he came and visited me at Fort Union Military Academy, where I was at the time. And it was just a it was just a brief opportunity for us to get to know each other. He still, you know, he extended his um, hand and said, "Hey, we still want you here at Ohio State. You know, we're going to clearly be doing something a little bit differently on offense and our expectations, and really trying to get to know me because you know I'm reporting in college another month and a half, and you know I'm, this is going to be my new coach, a guy that I don't know from Adam. You know, he don't know me from Adam. 
No, so um, it was unique, but it was definitely a process where clearly I didn't trust him. I didn't really like him in the very beginning because you know, this is some new guy I got to deal with if I still decide to go to Ohio State. But clearly our relationship uh, grown and blossomed to what it is today. I mean, not only that, dude, he, he, when he was the head coach at Texas, I mean, maybe you didn't know him in the beginning. Maybe you didn't trust him in the beginning. But this dude flew to Columbus to attend your Ohio State graduation in 2017 when he was the head coach at Texas. Clearly, you guys came together. Yeah. What did that represent to you at the time? Uh, it meant a lot um, because throughout the process, I dealt with a lot of um, back and forth when it came to academics and schooling. And he, him and his family, his wife, Michelle, was extremely uh, tough on me when it came to installing that thing. And like, hey, we take academics extremely um, serious. It's a pride thing for a standard in our quarterback room. And you need to live up to that outside of being a quarterback, hopefully being a quarterback here one day. So it was a relationship that I built with him up into this point where, you know, all barriers were down. And this was my guy. So that was something I knew he was going to be at no matter what or where he was at his time of life because he stressed how important it was to graduate and to finish college. And, I mean, just as much as I did to my family. So I know it meant just as much to him as it meant to me. Hey there. Let me talk to you for a minute about HelloFresh. HelloFresh is where you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Listen, a crazy schedule can make it easy to fall back into your dinnertime recipe rut. Keep mealtime exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every single week, so there is always something delicious to discover with HelloFresh. And with so many in-season ingredients, you'll taste all the freshness of fall in every single bite of HelloFresh's chef-crafted recipes. Produce travels from the farm to your door for peak ripeness that you can taste. Given my schedule, I absolutely love HelloFresh. I love how fresh it is. I love the options it gives me. And I know that I'm eating well and it tastes incredible. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Roam and use the code 50Roam for 50% off plus free shipping. Once again, HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. Use that code 50Roam and get 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh is awesome. In fact, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. All right, so the whole thing was a whirlwind, right? So maybe Urban Meyer didn't pick you. And let me just say this. He was damn glad to have you when JT Barrett went down in 2014 against Michigan. You make your first start of your college career in the Big Ten title game, and you lead the Buckeyes to that 59 nothing beatdown in Wisconsin. You're the MVP for your effort. I mean, thinking back, dude, that whole thing is so insane. What do you remember about those days leading up to that first start? Man, I, re I remember all that stuff like it was yesterday. Just the whole journey, you know, even way before that, you know, not just the season, but the years leading up into that. But I just remember going through my day like it was a normal day, going through my week like it was a normal week because, and I give credit to Coach Meyer and that staff installing this into every um, unit leader, a.k.a. position coach, uh, making sure everybody prepared like a starter, right? And it was so, my preparation was nothing different. It was nothing different. I, it's no way a guy can go from being a backup and lollygagging all throughout the week, all throughout the season, and then finally get an opportunity and turn his life around 
turn his preparation around in four days and go out there and have a performance like you know we did as an offense and I did individually to earn MVP honors in in a, in a Big Ten championship game versus number three defense, number one defense statistically overall in the country. There's no way that happens, right? Um, so I get a I get a lot of credit to our coaching staff of making sure everybody prepared like a starter. We always had that next man up mentality because we dealt with injuries all season up until that point where that the next guy had to go in and perform at a high level. So it wasn't something I was like, oh, my God, I'm shocked. Clearly, it's different than performing in practice in the game. But I also had the luxury of practicing every day and running scout team versus, at my, in my opinion, I thought we had the best defense in the country. So I was going against the best of the best every single day. And we created an environment that was so tough and so hard that we wanted that um, – we wanted to create an environment in a game where it was easier to practice. Dude, I think what you just said, I don't want to gloss over this. I think that is so profound what you just said that there's no way anybody can just throw the switch. Like no. you can't be lollygagging around, not preparing, and then in four days be ready for the biggest opportunity and challenge of your entire life and have your whole life changed. It's like that's not possible, right? Nobody can do that. It don't, it don't work like that. And then I guarantee you people who play at the high level and whatever sport they might, it don't work like that. You know, um, you know, the preparation, you know, and our coaching staff had a saying, preparation stop before you hit the ball. So we prepare all the way up into the game. It's not like, yeah, you know, we do it in different aspects, if it's physically or eventually, but the preparation is there 24-7 um, like you're the starter. So I never looked at myself as a backup, as a third string or whatever. And I can guarantee you, if you ask anyone, on our teams from walk-ons to not who, uh, who to scholarship players in any position um we all carried ourselves and held ourselves to a higher standard when it came to our preparation and that was just something our coaches installed in us at the very from from day one all right so you win this big game and then you keep it going you go to the national semifinals you beat alabama then you beat oregon in the natty and now now the shit cardell it's it's really wild right i mean how did you process all of that those three games i mean from not playing even if you knew you were a qb1 even if you were doing the work and preparing but from not starting to winning a natty and then all of a sudden having to decide whether or not you're going to turn pro i mean dude how fast was your head and your entire world spinning at that time Oh, man, I mean, extremely fast. And, and people who say the term overnight success, that's what it felt like for me personally because it all happened so fast. And, you know, uh, you know, I didn't really have an opportunity to really even digest the thought of winning a national championship, didn't have an opportunity to really digest the thought of beating uh, Alabama in, 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 in the semifinals um, because everything was happening so fast. After that, we had to make the Plumbers prepare for Oregon after that. I had to make a decision going to go to the NFL in two days, right? And all this stuff was just thrown on us, well, me personally, all out of nowhere. Um, you know, the NFL in college, they didn't move the date back far as when you were able to declare for the draft um, at that time, even though the season had moved back into the first year of college football playoffs. So the date was still fairly early, but it was the BCS era, right? We'd have played the championship game, I think, you know, the first Monday of February or January. And you had about a week and a half to decide if you were going to go to the NFL or not. Well, with the season getting pushed back because of the playoffs, you know, they didn't think about moving that date. So I didn't understand anything like that until the press conference the next morning when I got the question. Are you thinking about going to the NFL? And I'm like, well, you know, it's something to think about, whatever. I, I have to talk it over with my family and my coaches, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're like, okay, well, yeah, you got to decide by Thursday. <laughs> and it's Tuesday. Wow. I'm like, wait, Thursday or what? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. I don't know. 
So yeah, they're like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Well, it's Thursday to declare. I'm like Thursday, like two days Thursday. They're like, yeah. I'm just like, oh my god. So I never had an opportunity really to enjoy the success of national championship because by the time I had a got a cloud down, cloud nine from those 48 hours, you know. Um, it was really back was back on campus. Campus was crazy. I'm back in classes dealing with that and, and also turning around another week and a half, we back working out and getting ready for spring ball. So I never really had an opportunity to enjoy and sit back and relax and say, look how cool something we did together as a team, really until my time after Ohio State. I was going to say, probably until last week, dude. I mean, that is insane. Like, <laughs> seriously, though. Yeah, I right? Mean, seriously, because, you know, once you get into spring ball, I mean, yeah, we won championship, but it's all about, okay, we got to do that shit again. We got to do that stuff again. So, you know, all that stuff get put behind you so fast. And then, you know, whatever I went out with my teammates afterwards, we celebrated. But for us to actually be able to sit down and, like, wow, really think about what you did really like kind of like live it up a little bit when it comes to just you know relaxing decompressing getting away from it compartmentalizing i never had an opportunity to do that to literally my time was at ohio state now dude not only that but i mean there is no playbook for that and you were so young and the shit was coming yeah. so fast and like what were those two days like did you did you instantly like know like hey man i'm not ready i'm not ready for the nfl or were you thinking like you know what why can't i do this everything else i've tried has worked i mean did you give it serious <laughs> consideration how did you make up your mind you you know what? It, it wasn't a lot of consideration going into it because I understood how significant this decision can impact my life um, and my career. Uh, at that point, I played three games. Yeah, it was the biggest games in, in, you know, my lifetime, clearly, as a starting quarterback. But, you know, I still wanted to gain the um, experience of going through a season and preparing each week for a different opponent. You know, up until that point, I had, you know, more time than a normal week to prepare for guys other than the Wisconsin game. But I, in the NFL, every week is Alabama. You know, and, and, you know, so, but you're not going to have three and a half weeks to prepare for. Right. So I wanted to go through that experience of potentially being a starter for a year. And even though it didn't pan out the way I wanted to pan out at 15, um, you know, I still want to trade that experience for anything. I learned a lot, not just about myself as a player, myself as a person as well. Sure. So let me ask you about the, the following year. I mean, we talk about that roller coaster ride. JT Barrett was healthy the following year. You win the quarterback competition. You start the first seven games of the 2015 season before you're sent back to the bench. What was your reaction when you were told that Barrett was going to return to the starting lineup? How did that go? Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to say that I, I'm not going to get too much in detail of it because, you know, I want you, I want people to have an opportunity to read the book and really get into detail their stuff sure. about it. But, you know, I never really considered myself as a starter at 15 because I, I knew what it was, man. You know, I was never, I would never urban's recruit. You know, um, I was just, in my eyes, I was just holding that position until JT got healthy. Um, you know, I knew what type of offense. Urban eventually ultimately won the run with, you know, having that dynamic of the running quarterback or a quarterback that's more of a threat to run in a running game versus me. I'm more of a quarterback that can scramble and make some things happen through the pass game. Right? It's, it's a huge difference there. And then it what really stung a lot as well was Tom Herman. He left with the Houston that year, that following year as well. So now the guy I built that relationship with, um, over the last three years, and we went through our growing pains, and a guy that I trusted wholeheartedly, a guy that you know trusted me wholeheartedly, knew how to get me in the offense and rhythm, he was gone as well. And now in my career and my production is in the hands of someone else, one new at the time of Chip Beck, really didn't have that keys to the offense. You know, Ed Warner was the call of the show. And where we never had a real 
player coordinator relationship in my eyes because he wasn't coaching me on a daily basis for offensive line coach. And then on top of struggling in that aspect of him understanding what gets us going as an offense in my eyes, um, this other guy who really is urban guy, JT, is just sitting in the shadows waiting for his opportunity. And then the second part about 2015 is even when JT was in, you know, they, I don't know if they thought it was to run a two-quarterback system or, or try to keep both guys happy or what, but we expressed to them, like, we understand only one guy should be able to play or is going to play, and we were rather our team and our staff name a freaking starter versus keeping both of us on the short leash because we both were playing horrible. We both were playing bad. We were trying to do this. Okay, JT going to be the quarterback. We crossed the 50 and all this other BS that they were trying to do. And I think it was in relations to keep everybody happy, which we just wanted to win. We didn't care how it was going to happen. So I never really found peace in that season until he actually benched me after the Penn State game. And I just I was like, I knew that's what you were going to do. I'm not your guy. I get it. Whatever. And we started playing better as an offense and as a team. You know, so the following week after I get benched, JT goes out and throw for, you know, 400-something yards and run for 150-something yards versus Rucker. following week, he gets suspended for some off-the-field issues. Then I play our last, well, my last home game, my last game uh, versus Minnesota, and I have one of the best games I ever had because it was no pressure of me looking over my shoulder or another guy waiting in the shadows or or knowing that I was going to be the guy win, lose, or draw. Like, we had that luxury the previous years when we were the guys. So, in my case, in my opinion, I think the coaches kind of outcoached themselves throughout that season trying to play those type of games and trying to um, think that's what – was best for the team when ultimately it wasn't. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? God, dude, that's so interesting what you just said. I mean, number one, like those games, right? Those mental games that you play with guys. Most athletes I know, man, they they can handle the tough conversation, but look them in the eye, have the tough conversation, be real with them, explain why you're doing it, and they might not like it, but they'll accept it, right? I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence. You accept your role. I I never in my life felt so much relief and confidence in myself until I got benched because I knew my role. I'm like, okay, but I stay, I'm still going to stay. I'm still going to prepare like a starter. I'm still going to do my thing. But don't tell me I'm the guy. And then you keep me on a short leash, pulling me back during certain things. And then, you know, you like, how do I supposed to get in a rhythm like that? And then, you know, we, I, in my opinion, you know, no offense to Ed Warner. He's down there at FAU with Coach Herman now. I actually went to go see those guys about a month and a half, two months ago. You know, his philosophy of getting our offense was going was completely opposite of what we had success with the year before. 
So, you know, and, and my motto as an athlete as well, as a person, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, you know, so we deal with so many things that was attributing to us lack of performing and lack of success. And we still want to fiesta. Well, we won, lost one game, it also cost us. I'm not going back to the playoffs. But to say all this stuff we were dealing with internally and still end up how good we were and still having 14 guys drafted in the first two rounds, I mean, the first four rounds uh, that after that year and some of the things we were able to do with those younger guys on that team, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a miracle that we kind of got through all that and had the success we had still. I mean, tough enough when you got 11 guys coming at you and you have to make these split decisions without carrying all this mental baggage onto the field as well. So I see what you're saying. So, Cardo, what about like the NFL? Like, ultimately, you're drafted by the Bills. You spent one season there. You were sent to the Chargers. You spent some time on the Seahawks practice squad. You know, your NFL career didn't go the way that you had hoped or expected it would. Why do you think that was? What was that like? I think, uh, I mean, it was a great experience of just learning a lot of ball from guys like um, Tyrod Taylor, E.J. Emanuel, um, Kellen Clemens, um, Geno Smith, and, and Phil Rivers. Um, that was amazing sharing the rooms with those guys for those brief times. But I think it was just a lack of opportunity. Um, I mean, and you look at a lot of guys who, you know, are usually bounced out earlier than expected, you know, because uh, NFL is a young, it's a, it keeps getting younger. And if you don't have opportunity to show what you can do, know consistently then um it's no point of them keeping you around they can get a younger guy for cheaper you know and each year's draft or just through free agencies or just picking up a guy and i think it was just a lack of opportunity in that aspect and you know i had an opportunity to go back to seattle because you know, we dealt with some injuries in a numbers game and i got released for the practice squad and things like that but i i denied it and i, I wanted to bank on myself at that point i thought i learned so much from a guy like phil rivers that I was ready to be a starter and to ready to add real value to a team, I decided to take my talents to the XFL. So I declined going back to Seattle and went to the XFL, knowing I was going to be the starter in D.C. Um, um, for the Defenders um, and, and, you know, going into 19. And, I mean, it was going great. You know, it was going great until COVID hit and kind of crushed that. And, um, you know, so a couple of unfortunate events that was definitely out of my control when it came to just – you know, the lack of opportunities. Fucking COVID, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it shut down the whole world. It did, man. It did, so absolutely. We saw what it did. It's a pandemic, yeah, we saw what man. It did to, yeah, yeah, we saw what it did to a lot of, you know, people. But, you know, um, you know, I'm happy for a guy like, you know, P.J. Walker and, and uh, you know, who I think he just led the Browns to a victory, um, if I'm not mistaken, this past weekend. Um, Dude, over we the Niners. Yeah, we were set to play them in Houston, and me and Helm was in a kind of talks, and most likely either me or Helm was going to win the MVP of that league, um, how well we were playing up until that point in the game of the season. And we were getting ready to play each other, so I was looking forward to that square off because you know, all spring and all XFL season, it was just me and Helm just really dominating at a high level. And I was looking forward to competing against another great quarterback, a guy that I had so much respect for up at that time because I know his journey and I just know the things he's been through. Um, and his career could have easily ended up like mine, but he had fought and fought and fought. And, uh, you know, he had real, the right people standing up for him to get the opportunity in the XFL. I think it was Andrew Luck who really stood on the table for him with Oliver, his dad, to make sure PJ had an opportunity at home there. He made the best of it. He's still making the best of his opportunities. So I was looking forward to competing against him. Um, but yeah, I mean, XFL was a great experience and, and unfortunately COVID cut it short and, um, you know, but, you know, we, we had an opportunity to do something special and, uh, 
it sucks to say that we never you know know what really would have happened that that following week and just throughout that season without COVID. Yeah, look, I'm not looking to make an excuse for you or anybody else, but part of this, part of this is not only opportunity, but it's fit. Right. It's fit and you can't choose who drafts you and you do need Mm -hmm. some luck. You absolutely need some luck. Look, I'm not looking to get you. I'm not looking to get you to throw anybody under the bus. I'm just curious about this. You were drafted by the Bills. You spent time in the NFL locker rooms. You know, you know what those locker rooms are like. Did you think that Urban Meyer would do better than he did as an NFL head coach? Or did you know that was just not a good idea and that was not going to work? You know, I, I said this publicly, um, and I said this to him personally, privately, where, you know, I thought Urban is a great coach. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a great motivator, a great leader. But, you know, the style of coaching in college and in NFL is completely different, though. It's completely different night and day. In college, especially major college, you coach off fear. Coach off the fear of, I'm going I, I'm going to uh, recruit the next top guy in your class next year. I'm going to go get a guy in a transfer portal now. I'm just going to bench you. Right, you coach off fear in the NFL. I mean, off college. So you're you're usually talking to these guys any type of way. You usually um, putting through you playing too many mental games with these guys on and off the field and trying to control them like that to hopefully get the performance that you want out of them. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. And I said that to him. I'm like, hey, if you can change some of your ways and way you approach certain situations, I think you can have success. But if you can't, you got to understand, you're dealing with grown men here who got to go feed their families, not not running behind guys to make sure they're going to class or going to tutoring or having an academic, certain academic score each week to, to your standard. These are grown-ass men who are going back to real-ass problems after they leave this football field. So if you don't treat them as pretty much co-workers, I don't see it. I don't see it panning out, you know, and, you know, and, and you look at, a lot of the college coaches who try to take that next step in the NFL, I don't know none except Pete Carroll, who play, who was there before and went to college and went back, have had success. None of them. From Nick Saban to, uh, my God, UCLA, Chip Kelly, to Urban, to, and the list goes on. And there's a reason why these guys get a taste of that, come back to college, and let, you know what, that ain't for me. And, you know, I don't even think, the college coaching atmospheres for Urban Meyer now, just because I know the type of person he is, I know what type of motivator he is in his day and age. I don't think the um, athletes are are well are going to respond as well to that as we did. So I think you know his coaching career, far as on the scenes, maybe behind the scenes of motivating, helping, and mentoring some other young coaches um, that came um, after him. But far as being a head coaching, I don't think. You know, we'll never see that again, but still can't deny he's one of the greatest college coaches ever to do it. U.S. Cellular knows how important your kid's relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions to apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. Dude, you nailed it. What a great response that is. You're right, man. Unless you're willing to change and morph and evolve, that old school dictator 
power ship intimidation. That shit ain't going to play anymore. Man, today, no, today's no. athletes don't they don't want to hear that, and they've got some leverage, and they've got some power, and you're in the NIL space. You're active, so you know. And let me ask you this, dude, and this is such a great conversation, man. I appreciate you. The book itself, it's right there in the title. You talk about finding your purpose. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you mm-hmm. do in life. When your feet hit the ground in the morning, man, you better have a purpose, or you're just going to wander aimlessly. You put it right there in the title. So right now, as you and I speak— what is your purpose? How long did it take you to find it? That's a great question. I think my purpose is serving others. I think my purpose is being in situations where I can add value. Um, and that's not, you know, it's never, ever been financially uh, motivated. And I say that to every joint venture I uh, find myself being a part of, if it's brand ambassador opportunities, if it's um, opportunities for any and everything, I look at them and say, can I add value here? Can I add, um, can I help somebody here? Can I connect people here? And if I can say yes, then I'm going to do it. If I can say no, then I don't care about the financial gain or the loss at that point, then I'm not going to do it. So I think my purpose is really adding value to the people around me in whatever atmosphere it is. Dude, don't you believe that if you have a why and it's a strong why, you will figure out the how even if you don't know what it is yet? I totally agree. And I always been a white person. I always been a white person. I never really from coaching, from getting coaching to um, to parenting to everything, you know, because I, I want to know why, and, you know, and then, you know, the, some some of the old school answers because I said so isn't good enough for me. You know, and I remember just being the XFL challenging some of my coaches like that of just, you know, when we install certain things on offense and maybe it's a three by one set and somebody on the back side of the formation just doing nothing that's relevant to a progression or going to help this play have success. And I would ask, like, hey, why is he doing a vertical instead of a, a quick out or something like that? Oh, we just always had it that way. No, that shit ain't good enough for me. Like, give me an option here. Give me something that's going to help the success of this play. Everything don't go as planned. So i always been a why person. And, and some people can look at that as being resistant. But I just want to know the why to everything so I can have an answer to everything in every situation. God, that's so, isn't that so true? Like some coaches don't want guys who ask why too many times because they don't want you to outthink them or question them. But I would think you would want to know why, man. You you want you want to understand. You want to process it. I have no problem with why. To, to hear you talk about the XFL mm-hmm. is really fascinating to me. Like you won a natty. You were at the highest level. But the fact that you keep bringing up the XFL, you loved it because it was ball and you had an opportunity. Like that was pure, right? Yeah, it was it was straight ball. I mean, the only thing I didn't like about it was the sideline interviews, but um, you know, sideline live interviews was horrible. But dude, dude let, let me let me just jump in. Why, 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 dude? You because you, dude, you're a great communicator. Why was the satellite interviews? Why was that so bad? Well, no, the sideline interviews. Oh, the, the sideline interviews. Sideline, yeah, 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 yeah. In game sideline interviews because you know I don't want to report had shit to do. Face. Yeah, I don't want to report in my face trying to pull me over for. a for a fucking interview when I'm trying to make have to I mean uh in game and, and in between uh drives adjustment with my guys and try to have intimate moments with my guys and try to win this fucking game versus you 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 sticking a camera in my face and being live and saying, Hey, um, you know, uh uh how you feel about throwing that interception? Oh, how you feel about going three and out? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think I wanna those are questions I, I wanna answer or even think about. I'm trying to have the next next drop mentality or just trying to have an intimate moment. How the fuck do you think I teammate. feel, man? You ever you ever I try you great. ever try that one on uh, like, precise? Hey, How the yeah, fuck do you think I, I feel? Say, yeah, I, I wanted to say it felt good to get a completion, but it just went to the other team. Like just like what are you talking about? It you felt know fucking so great to throw a that. pick six. What do you think? It always feels yeah, great I, when the other team houses my pass. 
It felt awesome. Yeah, Thanks exactly. for asking. Have a great day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I hated that aspect of it, but I loved it because I was the quarterback. I was a guy that, you know, the offense was um, in position to, um, you know, and the players we had around us were um, playing to the, my strength. We had some nice speedy guys. We had some guys that could run the ball downhill. We had some big guys up front who loved uh, pass block and run block. So I loved it because it was all ball. It finally gave me an opportunity to be a professional quarterback um, on a consistent basis. Hey, before you go, let me ask you this. Do you still kind of – look, nothing will ever be like being under center. I get this, and I'm not in any way trying to diminish that. But you kind of have an it, dude. You kind of have an it. You have a great energy. Do you still feel like the quarterback? Like if you walk in a room, if you're a brand ambassador, if you're doing some sports casting, <laughs> do you sure. still feel like that guy? Do you still feel like a quarterback? Yeah, for sure. Good. For sure. I think um, I think just, you know, just being a, a leader in those type of ways of, of – you know, I've never been a vocal leader, just a guy that's, you know – trying to lead by example, but I also, you know, and, and new opportunities that have been presented to me over the last year, year and a half, you know, different fields of, I didn't ever envision myself in. I don't walk into those rooms acting like I'm king dingling <laughs> in there, but, you know, I can also take the, take the back seat and understand before I start to um, start to get, you know, comfortable in that environment or that situation where one day or whenever that time is, I can kind of be in those type of environments more comfortably and really allowing myself to let my natural abilities kind of take over in those moments. But yeah, I definitely still feel like a quarterback, you know, in my life because I still, you know, I still throw when I still train and everything I do now in life, I kind of spearhead and kind of take the lead on to try to make you know, people's lives around me better. The fact of the matter is, dude, you are such a young person and you've got your entire life ahead of you, an entire, I mean, like multiple careers ahead of you. Your energy is good. I, I mean, I think you sound like you're in a tremendous spot. The book is out. The book is available. Can they get the book wherever they normally find books? Yeah, I mean, Barnes & Noble, uh, we're working on getting it uh, kind of, you know, nationally uh, across the stores. But, I mean, if you're not in the Midwest and you would like, you know, opportunity to, to read a little bit about my life and some of the things I went through, um, Amazon is that it's a click away. But, uh, you know, if you're in the Midwest, Barnes & Noble and a few other your local bookshops should have it, so. The book is Leading the Buckeyes, Finding My Purpose, and Never Giving Up. Cardell Jones, my guest. My man, I think you did a great job of doing a long-form inter- or a long-form interview without giving up the entire book. They still have to get the book. My guy, really good to get caught up, man. I thought that was great. I really appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. It's been great. There you go. There's a reason why this guy is finding success off the field, and you just heard why. My dude Cardell has been through quite a bit, and in a pretty short span of time, too, from coming off the bench to win a natty, to going back to the bench, to declaring for the draft, to making it in the league. This guy has jammed a whole lot into the last decade, but clearly, he is in a great place, he's at peace with it all, and that all worked out for us as well, because he dropped a ton of excellent insight from a totally unique football journey right here onto the side hustle, which is why I do this. So my thanks to Cardell for showing up and bringing it the way he did. Great news. If you are interested in more conversations like that one, there is a lot more where that came from. We've got an entire vault of conversations already recorded, waiting for you to give them a spin whenever you want. 
And if you're already caught up, thank you very much. You know I appreciate that. And you know the drill. We will have a brand new episode next week. If you haven't already, why don't you take a second and hit subscribe. That way you will be the first one to know the second a new episode drops. So do me that solid. Hit subscribe. Leave a review. And I will see you next week right here for episode 286 of the Jim Rome Podcast. Peace.